You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a physician and editor-in-chief of Maine, Maine Home Design, Old Port, Ageless, and Moxie Magazines. Love, Maine Radio show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com, grownupgirl.com, where you can get personalized guidance and encouragement for growing a simple yet vibrant life through free advice, workshops, and mentoring programs with local experts. You deserve to shine. Go to grownupgirl.com now to learn about our available programs and classes designed just for you in the Portland area. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port, 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the works of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Brenda Sirioni, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormaine.com. Love, Maine Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where everybody is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. Emily Wedick and her friend Louise are advertising account managers at Maine Media Collective. They're both supporting their children through transitioning and both have been involved in creating resources for parents and transgendered children going through the process of transitioning. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. This is a very interesting time for both of you because each of you has other children at the same time. You've been you've been parenting for how many years now, Louise? Uh, my I have identical twins that are five and a half. So yeah, it's it's been very interesting, um, especially with them being identical twins and um, you know um, one being transgender. Um, at such a young age, and the other one, cisgender. Um, and that's another piece of terminology that um, I didn't know about, but learned about, and that's um, just the opposite of trans. You're cis, I'm, I'm cisgender, and um, yeah, so. So it means that out. you identify with the body that you were born into. Exactly, exactly. So that would yeah. be cis, and trans would be that the body that you were born into doesn't doesn't feel match. like it fits your right. identity okay. right exactly yeah and we we noticed that um early on um i don't know do you want me to would you like to tell your about how old your kids are and stuff yeah and then we can get into our stories sure so um my uh oldest child is six and um, i have a four-year-old as well um my six-year-old is my child who is transgender um, when uh, she was born, we identified her as male, um, but she let us know uh, quite quickly <laughs> um, from the age of two, um, started um, uh, giving us signals that it took quite a while to, uh, to pick up on, um, that she did not identify as male. Um, so interestingly, also um, going through this process with uh, as a first-time parent, <laughs> um, because it you know she was my first-born child, um, and then I have a, a four-year-old daughter as well. How does one um, pick up on a two-year-old 
feeling not right with their body. Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, they research has shown or, or experts in child development say that it is around, you know, the age of two or three that we start to develop a sense of gender identity. Um, when you can, when a child can articulate, you know, whether they're a girl or a boy and sort of have a sense of what that means in a social context. Um, and, um, you know, we don't question if, if someone asks you, are you a girl, <laughs> for example, as a cisgender person who identifies with the, um, the body they were born into and the gender that they were um, labeled as a child, um, we don't question why. Why are you a girl? Why do you feel like a girl? Well, I just am. Um, and, you know, with a transgender child, it's a very similar experience. Um, you know, my child had what we would typically think of as a, a boy's body. Um, you know, we gave her a traditionally male name, um, and uh, she was dressed in clothing that we would associate with, you know, that I bought from the boys section at, at children's clothing stores. And um, very quickly, she started to um, to show through certain ways of expression. Um, often one of the first things that children will do is um, start to reject the clothing that's associated with that gender. So um, my child started asking for dresses. Um, because I had um, I had had my daughter, my second child, around that time as well. Um, Hand-me-downs were starting to flood the house from friends with dresses for my new baby girl to grow into, and my two-year-old at the time would say, "Well, is this for me?" And we'd say, "No, this is for your sister." And my two-year-old would say no for me <laughs> and become very insistent um, and seemed very disappointed. So at uh, some point after persistent asking about dresses, um, her father and I decided, well, why not let this child wear a dress? Um, in my mind, it seemed more like a creative expression, maybe kind of like playing dress up. Um, she would have on her, you know, dinosaur t-shirt and cargo pants, and I would put the dress over it and um, send, you know, my child on their way. And, um, it, you know, in at the time, it, it you know, it, all of these signs sort of add up over time. Um, when I look back at photographs now of the time period between about two and a half and three, I noticed that almost every photograph my child, who at the time we knew as a boy, is in a dress. <laughs> um, so it's it's those sorts of signs, and then you know we can talk about what that looks like as the child gets older and how they start to become persistent and send messages in other in other ways. Mm. Louise, what did you notice about your son Joe? Well, um, it, yeah, it's uh, interesting. It was right around the same kind of timing. Um, uh, looking back, um, we could notice signs at two years old. Um, and um, so both of my children, um, identical, uh, were born um, uh, as uh, female, but Joe identifies as male. And um, we could 
looking back, we could see kind of his stance and like, um, I don't know, just little, little things that you could see. But then at three years old, it started with the clothes. So I used to dress them, of course, exactly alike, you know, and it was, you know, tutus and everything. And I had identical girls and, you know, I wanted them to be exactly alike. And I just thought it was the cutest little thing. But uh, Joe was having no part of that, though. Um, <laughs> and um, every time we'd go to the store, you know, he wanted to go into the boys section. And um, I would even, I would look for like gender neutral clothes and like take something from the girls section and put it in the boys section and just say, hey, Joe, what do you think about this? And <laughs> yeah, well, as long as it came out of the boys section, then that was okay. And so we did that, but these were like just little signs. And I thought, well, with identical twins, and of course this is my first time being a mom. Um, I was thinking, oh, you know, maybe they're just trying to find their own their own way. And maybe one's little t- tomboyish, you know, who knows? But, you know, he can dress his own way. And then, so it wasn't very long that they could dress alike. And, um, and, and, the things that he did like were like the ultimate boy stuff. It was like the camo pants and it was the Ninja Turtle shirt. And it was, you know, those were the things and, um, and didn't even want pink things to touch him or anything like that, anything that kind of resembled uh, a girl. Um, Yeah, so there was one instance um, with my husband where he was laying on the grass and had our our two girls at the time um, laying there and they were looking up at the sky and they um, there was um, somebody building a house next door and they were asking oh you know who who um, how dad how did they build that house and and uh, my husband said well there's builders that do that and they you know, cut down the trees and, you know, this is how they build a house. And, um, and Joe, um, at the time, uh, Anna was looking, uh, at the sky. They were both looking at the sky and said, well, dad, um, who makes the clouds in the sky? And, um, we're not a hugely religious family, but we do believe in a higher power. And he said, well, that would be God. And, um, this was at three. Joe said at the time, Anna, so God put me in the wrong body. And my husband was like, just taking it in and said, um, no, you know, uh, you know, didn't really know how to answer that. And so those were the kind of things that we just, um, took in, you know, those sorts of things. And, um, as it got further along, um, Joe would say things like, I'm a boy, and the only one who believes me is my twin sister. And so we'd ask Carla, Carla, what do you think? And Carla would be like, Mom, yes, Joe's a boy, you know. Uh, so, you know, those are some major points. And I'm, I'm glad that um, Louise is, is speaking to some of those um, kind of anecdotes as well, because I think, you know, 
obviously one of the first ways um, that kids will start to express their identity is through their clothing and what they wear, but it does extend beyond that. And I, I want to be careful too, because it's very um, typical for preschoolers, um, you know, children between the ages of two and five to play dress up and experiment. So, you know, True. parents shouldn't be concerned if a male child wants to put on a, an Elsa dress and be a princess. Um, that's very typical, but where you start to kind of understand that maybe something deeper is happening is, you know, where you see that consistency and, um, you know, what what we've learned along the way from child development experts and doctors and um, psychologists is, you know, that the hallmark um, of a child being transgender is that they are consistent, persistent, and insistent. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, all of the stories that we are sharing are sort of, um, you know, mile markers or things that happened along the way um, on a on a longer journey. Um, you know, with our children sort of doing everything in their power to um, consistently, insistently, and persistently kind of wave their arms and say, um, "Mom, you know, look, this this is this who, is me. This is who I am." Um, and, and it goes, it, it extends a lot further than, than the clothing, you know, that they wear. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and like with Joe, it was very, um, wanted to have a boy's cut, a boy's haircut, boy's haircut, you know, and had the same, uh, haircut, you know, as a sister, let it grow out long, whatever. And so getting that first haircut, I mean, we already let him dress the way he had wanted to, uh, but um, seeing him cut just like, and he wanted very short, just like a boy, because he really wants to, but to see it unfold and see himself in the mirror, um, he could see his external match who he felt internally and that was just amazing as a mom to see that, to know that your child is so happy um, with who they see in, in the mirror. And um, that was another moment, I think. Um, Did either one of you experience um, anxiety coming from your children or were there behavior changes? Did they feel depressed? I mean, some people believe that maybe kids are too little to actually feel anxious or depressed but I'm not sure that's true and I'm wondering how this impacted your families yeah did did you experience much of that um I did um you know it's um it it's hard it's it's tough with children because they have such a big emotions and um right to try to always decipher know how to express themselves so sometimes it's very hard to tease out what's sort of like developmentally typical um and you know what is kind of more on the extreme end of things um and then what's a tantrum and what is is what is something trans related or you know getting out anxiety or what is just a normal kid's tantrum I, w- I would say like the way that I in with with my child saw things progressing was um, a lot of anxiety around going to school whereas um, you know at earlier ages this was a child who loved daycare who thrived who um, 
loved preschool, who was excited about going to school every day, who easily made friends, um, who was very outgoing and confident, um, who began to suddenly um, uh, get very upset before going to school, become very clingy, um, uh, develop separation anxiety that had, you know, not previously been there. Um, and then slowly started to be able to articulate in words, you know, I can't wear a dress to school because the boys will laugh at me. The other boys will laugh at me. And so it's, you know, it's incredible. I would say this is around the age of four or four and a half um, around that time when I think kids start to understand, uh, have a social awareness of what certain norms are um, with their peers. And, um, you know, of course, we're learning now that, you know, gender can be a very creative spectrum and that there are children who are male who will always identify as male who are not trans, who may enjoy, um, you know, uh, nail polish or things we typically associate with feminine but but at that age it's very black and white mm. um, and children often organize themselves boys team girls team um, and suddenly my child didn't know where they fit <laughs> um, and um, and started to become self-conscious and develop almost a sense of shame it is is how I perceived it and so um, suddenly we were battling to go to school every day um, and finally, you know, my child looked at me and just said, when it's summer and the school year ends, I'm going to grow my hair long. I'm going to wear it in braids. I'm going to wear dresses every day and I'm going to be a girl. And, you know, that's who I am. Um, and it kind of became at that point, <laughs> It was a freight train that was running and either her father and I were going to get on it and be supportive and start to understand what she was going through and experiencing and how we could um, be the best parents that we could be or, you know, it was going to run away without us. And so um, I think that as you talk to parents with who have kids who come out at a very young age there are a lot of these sort of seminal moments that we all experience where we realize this is happening and it happens all of a sudden <laughs> yeah like a freight train Whether it's like, hey, it, i like you, it or not you see these little pieces <laughs> that are determining things but then all of a sudden they're ready and they're telling you joe felt a lot of anxiety um and stress um, after he got his hair cut um, because we hadn't come out to the class yet and um, it was the weekend Sunday night and he was going to be going into um, school the next day and the night before that Sunday night he was worried what if the kids still don't believe I'm a boy even with his haircut um, and 
he started saying that his throat was hurting him and like burning and um, I didn't know if it was something physical I took him to the emergency room and come to find out it was all just you know just very nervous energy about all that and um, and that was one of the times and then another time was when um, you know the, the teachers started to notice where and the kids too uh, which line uh, was he going to get into for the bathroom was it going to be the boys line or the girls line and they started to name off all the boys and then they'd put Joe and then they'd start off the girls and he came home that day and he was so excited that he was at the end of the boys line so that was when we were just like okay this is it we need to talk to the teachers we need to start making this this change and he was so happy about it you both met through a play group that you, Emily, had put together for parents and children who were transitioning this way. And from what I understand, this was very helpful. So um, I had, through sort of chance, met another uh, mother um, in southern, southern Maine who had a, a then also four and a half, five-year-old child. Um, who had, you know, had come out as a transgender girl, meaning they thought she was a boy when she was born. She came out as as a girl. Um, And so we got together and had a play date together and sort of started kind of brainstorming and talking about how um, there are quite a few, you know, a number of resources that we can also share um, uh, with this audience um, for um, transgender adults and for transgender youth, um, but those tend to be geared um, a lot more toward um, older youth, teens, um, and we found that there wasn't a lot um, to support uh, families with younger children. Um, and what we wanted to do was not really have sort of um, a formalized support group or something really clinical. We just wanted um, a safe space for families to get together, for parents to be able to kind of share experiences and for the kids to just play and have a very normalized experience um, and understand that there are other children like them. Um, because it, you know it's so it's so important. We know that it's important for children to have dolls that represent their skin color or their hair type or you know whatever it is children um, love to see themselves and know that they're okay and you know know that that um, you know that to feel special and to feel okay and to not feel other than or feel so different and so we thought this would be a good opportunity for kids to just kind of know that this there are many children like them. And to put that in context, there is a, you know, a private Facebook group for parents of transgender children that is um, actually an international group. And I, I think at this point it has over 5,000 members. Mm, it's huge. Um, and and it's, if you think about it, you know, that, that includes um, parents who are actively seeking out resources to, to support their children, um, it's a most likely a fraction <laughs> of the number of children 
um, who are transgender. And um, so there, there are a lot of us and, and, and um, so our group has sort of organically been growing. I would say there are probably about 15 yeah. families mm-hmm. now um, who have joined us in the Southern Maine area. Um, and um, one of the things that, that we did was we provided information about our group at, um, there is through Maine Medical Center, a pediatric gender clinic. Um, and that'll give, provide some context as well, an indication of, um, you know, I guess the, the need for these services. Um, so, uh, so that's where we've shared some information as well as through uh, my pediatrician's office. Um, and we can certainly provide resources and, um, um, to connect other families um, who might be interested. Yes, we're happy well. to do that. The trans um, youth group uh, that we um, that I go to um, that Emily started is just amazing. It's been such a great um, resource uh, for us. Um, the bonds that we've made with the parents, the kids, um, all running around, um, whether it be the 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 siblings or um, the gender non-conforming kids. You don't even know who's who and nobody cares and they're just running around in packs and and um, us as parents being able to talk about things that are unfolding with our young children and um, if we've had any experiences and some of most of them are very similar experiences and it is great for us to have that community of of people so our kids do um, don't feel different you know they 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 feel like they belong and um, they're having a strong um, sense early on of of uh, being themselves and I think that that's what's important because um, for uh, transgender people who are not supported the um, I, I hate bringing up this because it really it hurts me as a parent that there's it's a 41% suicide rate and that's for uh, people who are not supported. That when they are supported, um, that drops down like tremendously. So um, I know that with the group that we're that we're together with, um, our kids are going to thrive. They're going to survive. They're going to do great things. And um, so yeah, I want to thank Emily and um, our friend for starting that. And it just keeps growing, and we would love for it to grow and to continue to grow. And so. Um, yeah, if you would like to hear more about the group or or talk to Emily or or myself, um, we do have a um, an email address that you could email us at. Um, it's trans kids main m e. So I'll spell it out: t r a n s k i d s m e at gmail dot com. And so just write to us and we'd love to talk to you. Well, I really appreciate your taking the time to come in and talk today because I think this is something that many people are um, working through right now and don't necessarily know what the resources are. And this is a good way for them to um, connect with people who have been through similar experiences. 
I've been speaking with Emily Wedick and her friend Louise, who are advertising account managers at Maine Media Collective. They are both supporting their children through transitioning and both have been involved in creating resources for parents and transgendered children going through the process of transitioning. Thank you so much for what you are doing and for coming in and being willing to share your stories. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you so much. Dr. Zach Mazzoni, DO, created Dayspring Integrative Wellness in Bath, Maine, with the belief that true health comes from building healthy relationships with your community, with your doctor, and with yourself. As a board-certified family and integrative medicine physician, Dr. Mazzoni and the whole staff at Dayspring are committed to supporting your wellness journey by providing integrative family medical care, osteopathic manipulation, herbal and lifestyle consultations, counseling, and wave therapy. Dayspring offers an innovative membership-based model of healthcare that gives you time together with Dr. Mazzoni to build a personalized wellness plan based on your health goals. Daily access for acute appointments is available, and you can even schedule a secure video conference call in the privacy of your own home. I know Dr. Zach and his family, and I believe strongly in the personalized whole-person approach to health that he provides. This is why I am encouraging you to find out more for yourself by visiting dayspringintegrativewellness.com or by calling them directly at 207-751-4775. Dayspring. Wellness. The way it should be. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristel, Portland Art Gallery, Art Collector Maine, GrownUpGirl.com, and by Dayspring Integrated Wellness. Our editorial producer is Kate Gardner. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasick. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Andrew King and Dr. Lisa Belli. For more information on our production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.